Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode one of Undercover Influencer, the podcast where I sit down with friends that I've met over the years who make the things that we love to love. I'm so excited about today's episode, not just because it's the first episode, but also because the guy I'm interviewing is just a rock star in the creative world. He is a writer, an artist, a producer, and just an all-around great guy. He has been one of my best friends for a long time, and he's just so wise. His name's Paul Joyner. He's the creative director of a large nonprofit in Southern California, and he has been leading a fairly large group of creatives for over 30 years. I love hanging out with his team, watching him lead them, watching them create together, and I hope that today is inspirational to you and maybe that you learn a little bit about um, your own creative process and maybe leading younger creatives yourself. So sit back and enjoy this conversation with Paul Joyner. Hey, Paul, thank you so much for being with me today on the podcast. I'm so excited to chat with you. Yeah, it's good to be here. And any time with you is special. So I appreciate the opportunity to hang with you for a few minutes. Oh, thank you, Paul. You are one of mine and Megan's best friends. Um, we always take every opportunity we can to hang out with you, even though we are separated by an entire country. Um, time in California and when you're over here on the East Coast, your time with us is some of the most special time that we have. And so I'm so thankful that I get to spend a little more time with you today and just talk to you about um, your work and what you're doing. Thank you. And I know I, I mean, just what's going on nationally, it's fun sometimes to have someone else to talk to and just say, okay, what are you thinking? Here's what I'm thinking. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, kind of a nice touchstone. Absolutely. Well, you are one of the most creative people that I know, um, and you've been doing work in the creative space for years. Can you tell us a little bit about how you landed in the creative space? When did you know that you wanted to have a career as an artist? You know, it's so funny. As I look back, I, first of all, I had a very creative, I was raised by a very creative parent. My mom was super creative. And uh, everything we did was uh, let's try it. Let's do it. Let's create. What do you think we can do? I was raised in a time where you didn't have a lot of kits to go and be creative, go, go down and buy a paint kit or go down and buy a something kit. We didn't have like Hobby Lobby or, or um, Michael's back then. So everything we created, we had to create from scratch. So it was kind of, we, I felt like, as I look back in my childhood, I felt like we were always creating. My, my parents were also pastors at a church. So a lot of that creativity went to a cause. And so I could see anything that we created, it immediately turned into some type of a fulfillment or a blessing to see it being enjoyed yeah. and uh, maybe appreciated and actually just really, you know, you got immediate feedback and then it was like, let's do it again. So, you know, I'm not for sure. I wanted to be uh, more of an actor. My, my mom always told me I was more of a producer she always says, you're a great actor and you can sing great, but Paul, you are a producer. I didn't know what that meant until I landed probably in my mid thirties where I ended up finding a job that put together everything I'd ever done in my life, whether it was acting or behind the camera or church work. Uh, it just all put it together. And then I realized again, going back to my childhood, it is great to be creative and have it mean something for a long time. Other than I used to create things and put it on the wall and that was it. Or I'd create things and do something for fun, but that was no one appreciated or no one could really be moved or touched by it. In this world, uh, I feel like all my creative efforts is 
yields this amazing kind of harvest with people. So I think that's kind of when I knew I wanted to stay here mm-hmm. and I wanted to live in a world where I felt like even the fun things kind of mattered. Yeah. And you that makes sense. always tell stories about your mom and the creative influence she had on your life. I remember there's a story you tell about a spacesuit, a picture of her in a space. Yeah. Suit. And she, I never got to meet your mom, sadly, but yeah. she seemed like she was such a fun person. How did she influence you as a creative, as a younger child? Is there anything that she did to push you in that direction? Is there anything that she did to build that creative longing inside of you? Right. You know what? I don't think I know. I don't think I knew it then, but as I look back now, uh, this is kind of a pr- approach that I have with my staff, um, is she really mentored my creativity. She, I think a lot as a kid, I think parents, a lot of times they just let their kids do something and then whatever they do, even if it's terrible, they're like, Oh, it's so wonderful. And you know, like mom was real supportive that way, but she's always trying to move me to another level and always say, Hey, look, if she showed me things first, then turned like, why don't you try it now? And I had a little bit of uh, connection in the process. So it wasn't just like, here's paper and here's pencils and leave me alone. There was a little bit of like, let's try this or let's go do this. Even when I lived, I was raised in Arizona. So we, I love the Indians and the whole different Indian culture. So we went and we learned about those Indians at those museums and things. But we also, um, when we came home, we created stuff about the Indians and we learned to do, she said, let's learn to do baskets. Let's learn to do this. It wasn't just with me, it was with all the kids. But I look, I look back now, she was, she was mentoring me through my creative mm. stuff, trying to make me better. Probably so she realized that this is where I want to go in life, which she could probably tell. It needed to be, not everything was great. Not everything was perfect and beautiful and amazing. It was, this is really good. I wonder if I could show you something else. Yeah, what if you did this? Mm-hmm. I remember one time, I saw some flowers. We went to a floral show. When I came home, I cut off all the roses in her garden without her knowing it when she was in the shower <laughs> or something. And I had to, it, was, it was like that. the night before she had all these people over for this garden party. And I had them on the table. I thought they looked beautiful. I arranged them real quick. And she could have just like freaked out, but she's like, hey, that's beautiful, Paul. But let me tell you something. Like, let's see how long a rose lasts on the bush as opposed to in the jar. And when I realized that a, a rose lasts longer on the bush. And let's wait till day 20 before we cut it instead of day two after it blooms. Mm-hmm. So she, she, I just realized she just did a lot of mentoring and that was okay. And it was okay to say, hey, this is great. I wonder if we tried this, what would it look like? Or I wonder if you did this, it would make it look like, oh, see, so you know what happens when you do that? That really did help me. Yeah, it sounds like she, instead of leading you through a life of finish lines and answers, she led you with questions, which made you more curious as an adult. I noticed that about you. You're a very curious adult. Now, um, you are the head of the creative department for a really large nonprofit organization. And I've had the opportunity to work with your team on some large projects um, just for fun, more than anything, just to learn from your team and see how you lead them. What's your process for choosing and vetting potential new team members? How do you choose the people that will be a part of your team? Well, it's, it's a couple things, uh, TC. I, um, when I first started hiring people, I, since I'm a connector, I really hired because of culture. Um, and I still do, 
but I realized that culture is, though it's super important, and with a creative eye, it's it's part of the puzzle, not all of it. So for creative, as much as I connect and like someone, I feel like they'd fit with our culture. I really have to know their chops. So, and it's really not, it's really not about being creative. It's about being diligent. It's really not yeah. being, um, you know, insightful. It's about hitting deadlines because I find that sometimes creative people struggle with those things. You know, we do not like routine uh, tasks. So what I try to do is find people who are really talented and say, okay, on a scale of one to 10, they're probably a six creatively and I can move them up. And I know we can through the process that we use, but they're a nine maybe or an eight as far as diligence and experience in getting things done and they walk in prepared, that's bigger than it used to, to be to me. So I try to always find, I hire leaders, not uh, followers. Everyone I hire, I want them to lead. I want them to be a part of the operation. You could call it the business. I don't like a crew mentality where everyone is just waits for someone to tell them what to do. It's a chain of command everyone is involved and I try to find someone's leader potential because the more leaders I have, the more I can turn over uh, to them. Yeah. So I think that's almost more important than to create creative. Yeah, and I've also noticed sitting in your staff meetings, I've said in a couple of your staff meetings, um, they allow space for creativity. They allow space for ideas to grow, but they are also very organized and they're very quick and you don't mess around in staff meetings. Can you talk a little bit about shepherding creative minds that are younger than yours and how um, there's this balance between a, allowing space for an idea to grow, but also keeping a project for a very large nonprofit organization on track. How do you do that? How do you balance the, the, the pull, tug and pull between allowing something to grow and staying on a deadline? So that's two, I think that's two, two, uh, the mission, two missions for uh, someone who's in charge is one is to have, get your creative job or whatever this is done to the best, most creative uh, ability. But the second part of that is to, to grow your team. Mm -hmm. So what I try to do, I don't know where else to call. It, I just kind of made it up, but I call it, we, we use a collaborative uh, conclusive model. So everyone knows coming in, it's, it's collaborative, but then it goes to conclusive. So in other words, think of three E's. The first one is I engage everyone on an idea. So in that step of, that, of any idea or any project, I want to hear from everyone. Everyone's engaged. Uh, and that's how I find smart people and creative people that I didn't know I had. Mm, or yeah. I find someone who is really good with ideas and they're like just downstairs editing tape but they're a really good storyteller. Or I have someone who's someone who's my gal, who's part of my staff who, but just says, hey, I wonder if we could do this. So that first part is engagement and there is empowerment. Everyone's empowered to bring something to the table. I don't care who you are, what, where you are, you're all empowered. Uh, but then it goes from collaborative to conclusive. And so that 30 is now we're entitled. TC is in charge of this. Paul is in charge of this. We've all brought our ideas to the table. We've reviewed them all. We've considered them all. Now we're done. And now it is 
time to go back to your corners or whatever and say, he will handle this. And from now on, I will trust TC. What he says goes. Someone has to make a decision from this point on. We will follow TC in this area. We will follow Jim in this area. That helps me find people who are ready to lead. Mm -hmm. uh, a project I'm working on now, one of the guys I've had help write and will actually, he came up with some great ideas with some, some storylines. I realize he's got a propension for directing. So when we get on this project, I'm going to have him direct some of those scenes that he thought of. So that helps me. So I start very wide with the net and everyone knows that it will be wide at the beginning, but it'll grow. And then everyone's happy. They all got to speak into it. They all yeah. got to own it. And then I can say, okay, so I think we've heard everything. Here's what we're going to keep. Here's what was a good idea, but maybe not this time. And now we're all going to go to our spots and, and, and that cycle continues to go through the whole thing. Once everything is looked at, we bring it back to the room and we want to review. It opens up conclude, you know, to collaborate again. And then by the end of that meeting, it goes down to here's the action step and everybody's happy and they go. So that's how I've, we have a very broad rule, but to a very broad, uh, you know, net, but it goes down to a very strict rule as far as, okay, they are responsible. And it's not only the privilege of handling it from there out, but it's the responsibility of saying it has to be done at time too, to get it yeah. done. Yeah. And one of the things I love about your team is um, you, you kind of touched on this, but no one is off limits on any project. If someone from, if someone who sweeps the floors has an idea, they're allowed to come in and share that idea. And I love that about your team is that you, in the early stages of the process, you'll take ideas from anywhere and you have found some incredibly talented people that way. And, I just and, love and, that. and they feel like they own it. I can't think of maybe one or two people that probably have the same job as the one they walked in with. It's either they've grown into a position of leadership and they do that, or they still manage that, but they have more. Uh, we have a project coming up and I, I have a, a, an experienced team for the set and for the shoot where everyone's going to, for guests to come in or, or, or staff. And they're from through four different corners of the building, not even creative because mm. I just said, Hey, if anyone wants to be a part of this, let's hear. And so they're just, they just meet every once in a while. It's not a huge responsibility, but yet it gives me perspective and it helps me find people. And when I find, uh, you know, when I find them, uh, then I will try to move them up as fast as I can, because I think that's why people don't stick around. They don't see any growth, any potential growth in, in, mm -hmm. in their organization. And I've noticed, I've known you for 13 years now, Paul, which is a long, long time. <laughs> Some of us half of my life, but um, I've noticed that um, from the first time I flew out to hang out with your team till now, a lot of the people are still there. A lot of the people who were um, there the first time I met you are still sticking around and they've moved up the ladder and there's just this bond amongst your team. There's a unity there that's strong. And I love that about you. What are some things that you do to um, keep that unity among your team? What are some things that you do to keep your creative staff engaged and enjoying their job for the long haul? Yeah, I, th I think well, here's one thing. I, it's a rule for me, and I think it keeps people happy to stay here for the long haul, is I have this 20% vision rule where if your plate is completely full and you have, like, if you don't have, like, anywhere from 10, sometimes for some of us it's 10, if I want to keep a plate, I want to have, if your plate is so full of responsibility that you have no, no part of that plate for vision and forward thinking and creativity, 
creatives do this. We, we work ourselves out of a job. We, yes. we walk in as a creative person and then with that, within a couple of years, we're not doing anything creative anymore. We're just managing and taking care of operations and we don't, we don't get to set. So if anyone's plate gets up to about, you know, more than 85% full, it's time for them to be time for us to get someone else to help or to take some of the responsibilities and give it to someone else who's now coming up. I want all of my team to have a percentage of their work that's free so they can think plan for the future, uh, improve their team, improve their goals. And I think that's what's kept people here because their job doesn't go from creative to a managerial position. It stays creative. And they will even tell me, you know, and I have to agree with them because some people would say, oh, my plate's full. Like, no, it's not. You're just not managing it very well. Mm -hmm. But other people like you, I, you, I can name names. You would know those people like they have grown up, grown up, but yet I keep them happy. If I see their little stressed all the time, not just certain times of the year, I'll go to them and say, is, how's your 20% going? How's you know, like my plate is full. I have no time for vision, no time for creativity, no time to make what we're doing better. We're, we're continuing to do what we've done the same way, just because I don't have time to do anything else. That's to me, the best way to keep creative staff. We have a lot of fun too, of course. I also call it proxy and moxie. So <laughs> if I want you to have both proxy and moxie. So Proxy means that you are creating something for someone else and we're doing something again. We're, we know what we do. This is how we do it. This is how we run an event. This is how we run a magazine. And that's okay. But I want you to have a little moxie so you have some time to say, I want to change things. I want to, not just for the sake of changing, but I see we can have a stronger foothold here. And I'm bold enough to say, I want to try a few things if you guys are willing. I think when they all know right up front that... I want, there's some things I'm asking you to do that's just proxy, but I want you to have a little moxie in your job too and be able to come with it. Super happy. Uh, now, let me ask you this. That leads me to another question. Um, there are a lot of creative leaders who aren't willing to let go of their vision. What would you say to those creative leaders who just stick so hard to their vision and they won't let go of their vision for a new idea that might be brought to the table that's a better idea? Yeah, that's a huge problem. I, in fact, a lot of creatives I talk to and actual leaders, it's the problem of their organization and they don't even realize it. It's, uh, you know, I deal with that all the time. I have a staff of tons of creative people and as they grow, um, they, they, they want to keep adding on but not change anything. If you hire good people, you will trust them sooner or later. You've got to trust them to, to do that. Absolutely. And again, on the spectrum of things, there's probably 20% of what they do that you probably would do a little different, but it doesn't matter. You right. have to decide what are the big items, what are the big tent poles that cannot change. That's why there's proxy on, the, on your team's plate because I don't want this changed. But I also want to give them moxie so they'll stay with me. If they don't see they can ever get past me and my ideas and my strong opinion, they're never going to stay. So if mm -hmm. I allow them to present it and if I'm not willing, I tell my team, very first thing, look, I'm going to mentor you and monitor you. And if you don't want to be mentored, then make it so I never have to monitor you. Wow, make your work okay. so good. And, that, and they know that. Okay, Paul's going to be on with me. And he's going to monitor. And some people are like, I, don't, I hire creatives. They're here two days. And they want everybody to talk, touch their work. And they're like, do you think a company of this size would just let someone come in? We don't even know and change everything. 
But that's something that I, I deal with before we even hire. But there comes a point where if I'm going to do that as a leader, mentor someone and monitor them, and I feel like they're ready to go, I need to let them go because, again, I'm going to turn my plate into managing all these people and not being creative myself. So whatever I can turn over and trust someone with, maybe that tent pole is just a proxy at first and make sure they know how to do it. But then at some point, I want you to make this better, TC. I want mm-hmm. you to come with me anytime you have an ideas. And sometimes I am pleasantly surprised. Uh, I say that most, again, most creatives are the ones that hold their company back, the leader, because mm-hmm. they don't really believe that, you know, everyone who's younger than me, I was never that young when I was their age, you know, and I look back, I was doing the same thing they were at their, at, at their age. So why I appreciated someone trusting me, you know, they're not just young people. Uh, but I think that is a huge problem. I don't know what to tell creatives, except that you're shooting yourself in the foot. You are, you know, that's, if you look at it, uh, I know you're, you're interested in this a little bit too, but you look at fashion designers, yeah. You know, almost everyone that's had a fall, that was their problem. They continue to do things that were a little starting and a little outdated, starting to look the same. They brought someone else in under them to help. It was a love-hate relationship. I love that you're helping me. And my, all of a sudden, they get good press. Oh, wow, the line looks so much better. And then they have a falling out. That person who studied goes off and creates their own line. Their line's successful, and the original guy's line disappears. That's so true. And they've got to say, hey, you're, we're not in competition here. Bottom line is, is, TC, it's still your department. You still get the appreciation and award for it. Another thing that I do, and I don't care what meeting I'm in or what I'm doing, if someone says, any of my, any of the people that, that look at where say, hey, we really love what you're doing. I always say, oh, you know, Nathan did this. Or, hey, guys, I want to point out something. Nick's on our agenda. This is a great idea that Jake had. I always, always any partner I have in any type of a, I always give them, it's not credit and it's not like appreciation. It's, I acknowledge the work that they put into it. Even if I have Dr. J review something, I'm like, Hey, I want you to know that these guys took the time to make this happen. I, because if I can raise the equity and the visibility of my creatives, then when I want to go and, and champion a raise for them or promotion, the number one is like, absolutely. Yeah, totally. It's not like, who's this guy that you're asking for? I don't know who he is. What's well, my fault. Right. So, and then I think the, the your team appreciates that. So the more that the, the building believes in them, the more I can trust them as well. Yeah. As the leader, you are the gatekeeper between them and the other leadership in the company. Right. And so, you cannot be intimidated. That's it. That, that'll kill you. You'll shoot yourself in the foot in the long run. We've all known people who've done that. Yeah. So true. So true. Well, I want to change gears for a second. Yeah. Um, one thing I love about you is that you come from an acting and performing background. That's kind of where you started. You um, played some roles on some TV shows and had a lot of fun as you were younger, but you've now moved behind the scenes. Was it, was that a hard transition for you or is that something that came pretty natural? Man, I love to perform. It was, I had a great time doing it. Um, I was always being pulled behind the scenes though. I was always, even if I was in a show, they'd be like, could you help work with the actors on this? Or can you, you know, what would you do? Or like, it just always seemed that way. When I came here to, to what I'm doing now, it was, it was production. So, you know, it was, you know, working with 
shooting, you know, a personality. So it just kind of made that decision for me, mm -hmm. but I really enjoy it. Cause I love, again, to go back to what I first said, I love to see everything come together. And frankly, that's how I am best or uh, di disciplined when I know there's a deadline in production. So it's great for me as a creative. I have, I have a magazine due every month. Yeah. We have five magazines in process at any time in certain stage. I have to get it done. If I was number one, I might slip on that. I might like, well, or I have to do, if we have to produce a TV show every single week, it has to be done. So for me and my, my personal career, it has helped me being behind the scenes because I don't have as much, I have creative control, but I have such a high amount of accountability and discipline and responsibility. That I have to be disciplined in my job to get it done. So in some ways it had like years ago, I used to work, uh, I, used to, I volunteered for church and I wrote their dramas for 17 years, every single, almost every single Sunday, I'd say 42 weeks out of the year, we had a drama. It taught me how to write. I have to write every week. 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 I was sometimes in the show. Sometimes I wasn't. Every time this will help a creative person be more creative because it puts accountability to your creativity, which a lot of creatives mm -hmm. lack. Right. Yeah. They're super creative, but they cannot get things done because they're, they're, they're in this, they're, it's their own world. I share I'm a number two in this world here and they're, they love my creativity. They love what I bring to the table, but if I can't hit the mark, I, we can't make it on national television. We can't make it, it, you know, a direct mail on time. Then it doesn't matter how creative I am. I, I am. So I think in that way, it has made me a better creative and I see that. So that's why I'm okay with it. Mm -hmm. because, and everyone that I really care about and really know very well knows what I do. Right. You know, it's not like if I'm, if I need to, if I want to be the guy or have all the creativity channel back into, you know, appreciation for me, I should go do my own thing. I don't think I would have been quite as successful. Right. Because I don't, I think having someone I work for and it's a trailblazer, it's a good team. Right. Because they're like, let's go, let's do it. You know, basically, walk in my office one day. Do you think we could do a magazine? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, let's do it. And then now I got to figure out how to do it. That excites me. And if you also, that is a creative piece of work that will touch a lot of people's lives. So the fulfillment came to me in a more surprising direction than I thought it was. Mm -hmm. It wasn't about being creative. It was being about being productive. That like, wow, the creativity is going much farther than if I would have just set in my garage and, and did something creative creative right so right. in that's in that sense it's helped me enjoy this process in this space more when i was younger coming up the ranks in the creative space and particularly the performing arts space someone much wiser than me set me aside and said tc there are people in this industry that crave applause mm -hmm. and they live from applause to applause and behind that person there's always a number two that if they can stick with being number two and not live for the applause will become way more successful and their career will last much longer if they can just say no to the temptation of the applause. And that's always stuck to me, stuck with me. And I think you're one of those people where it's like you, you have remained strong and steady in the background 
you know what you do, you know what you're there for, and you have created a space for someone to shine on stage. And you've been okay with them getting the limelight while you sit back and do what you love to do. And I just respect that so much about you. I think it's um, one of the things I love most about you. Thank you, friend. Well, you know, it's, it, there is some joy in just seeing it all come together. And Mm -hmm. as we learn in so many different areas, including scripture, where, you know, if you want to be greatest in, in, in God's kingdom, be the servant of all. And there's really something powerful in that, knowing that that Absolutely, is something that, yeah. and knowing that someone depends on you is pretty powerful too. Absolutely. You've been in the creative space for quite a while and you've seen what I would call kids. I'm a kid. <laughs> what I would call people come and go. Um, you've seen great people come and go. You've seen people that didn't make it quite as long as they thought they would come and go. What would you, what advice would you give to young creatives who want to succeed in making long lasting work that will influence others for years to come? I've said this a couple of times. I've said actually many times to, to young creatives is creativity is a personal viewpoint. It's, it's subjective to what you do. Very successful professions if you notice when you go into that world you have you understudy a long time mm-hmm. and you I don't know if you're a doctor if you're a lawyer you you're not even really doing what you were really going to do till probably seven ten years for some reason creatives we feel like we got a badge somewhere and we did we took a class and we're ready to and we do not listen and learn we also probably don't put, we put ourselves in places where we're the number one immediately. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying, why don't I go and put myself in a place in an organization where I can learn for three or four or five years. Every other industry does it except creative industries. And then don't tell me what to do. I'm a creative. Well, okay. Creative is the idea. It's not the execution of the idea. That's wow, where yes. we mess up. Yeah. And we, I'm not worried about your idea. Like even, even you, like, like, you know how much I was impressed with you from when we met, but it's not your idea. I mean, you're brilliantly gifted in, in the idea how you see things, but you also put yourself in a place where you had, had to execute it and you had to reach out and say, I am a little overwhelmed. How do you do this? Uh, and some people never do that. It's like uh, my my uncle when he came back from Vietnam. He used to like to he used to smoke, and you know, with all he saw, he, I probably can't blame him for for having a pretty rough life. But he was a great guy, and I used to walk on the neighborhoods when he with him when he'd smoke with my because he didn't parents didn't want to smoke at his at their house. So one time I remember walking around on Thanksgiving, and he said, "Well, Paul, what do you want for Christmas?" And I said, "I want a guitar." I was high school age probably sophomore and i remember him smoking that cigarette he goes don't get a guitar don't get a guitar and i'm like why and he goes because you'll never get out from behind it man and what he meant was sometimes we creatively find a space where we like to be but we never get out from behind it and go learn how to execute it you know, there's a lot of creatives and i don't mean to be mean and a lot of people are doing it to survive so i want to be sensitive but there's a lot of people who I think, what could you be if you had just gone and learned how to execute, how to hit deadlines, 
put yourself in a place where you can learn just because you're creative. You know, I think I've told you this before when I was young, my mom told me like, you know, Hey, Paul, you know, and this is her term. She said, you know, when I was young, I was doing things, but I wasn't where I should be. And she said, you know, there's a fine line between being a child prodigy and a young smart ass. Yep. And I think that's where you are and you have better change that or you're never going to be more than you are right now. Those words penetrated my heart because I didn't want to be a, a jack of all trades, a master of none. Right. And I remember and, you told me that a couple of years ago and it's really slowed me down and made me just yeah. think through things. So I think you have to do that. So I would say as much as you don't like it, put yourself someplace where you have to be accountable to others. You, you're maybe not the number one. You learn. You may disagree with everything, but you're going to learn from it. Mm-hmm. I think that's what I would tell. Uh, I do have a lot of people I've brought in and they don't want to budge on how, you know, everyone's, you know, everyone around them says their writing is terrible, but they think it's the best thing that, that's ever happened. Mm-hmm. And they won't listen to people who, know how to write and who've like direct mail raise money and but they still like well no this is how i feel they're never going to be more that's it that's this is this is look at your life as it is look how you're living this will never be any more than what it is now because you can't see yourself past your own you know creative intuition and uh, you know we've been working with some imagineers from disney on a project uh and one thing I'm so impressed with all of them is there, I was intimidated beyond words to meet with all these different people. Every one of them has been so walking with an open hand. What do you like? What do you think? Do you like this or not? Don't care. This is what I'm thinking. But it may not be what you're thinking. Not one of them has walked in with a closed hand and a closed mind. And if they're at the top of their game for one of the greatest entertainment uh, you know, organizations in the world, companies in the world, that is their approach. And I think that's why I sit there. They may not be the, they may, there may be someone out there who's better than them, but there's no one out there that got to the level that they got to. And mm. I think that's why. I always tell my team, we can throw any idea on the board and there's no bad ideas, but there will be one idea that we end up using. Yes. And true. also you are not the idea that you bring to the table. So it's okay. If we criticize your idea, we aren't criticizing you. Right. And when you walk out of the room, you're going to leave that idea on the table. And we're going to be, we're going to be just as good of friends when we walk out of the room as when we walked in there, but you are not your idea. And um, you always have to lay that idea on the table with an open fist. Um, Yeah. I always say you're either going to be a professional or professional, which is means you're going to take everything personal. Mm, And there are people who are professionals. They're just everything you do. It's about them. It has not, it, it could be, designing a new cupcake look and they take it personal because you didn't like their cupcake idea. And you're like, dude, if your life is this one little project, that's going to be a fleeting moment in our life. Mm-hmm. Some people are per professionals. It's all personal. Others are professionals. And I'm like, if you can't be a professional, you're not going to go very far. And have you seen that it's gotten harder when you first started this in order to produce a video or to make something with audio, you had to have a $2 million studio. And now you can walk to the Apple store and buy literally a thousand dollar computer and have every tool you need to make something in your hands. And then the internet has made the world much smaller. You can be an influencer with, you know, an account that's free and people will send you stuff for free to, to sell it. Have you noticed that that's made it harder to keep people humble in the creative space? Well, yeah, I always say I, 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 
let's swallow what you're saying. I, I tell creators all the time, not everything you do has to be monetized and has to be another profession and you have to get Amen. a little yes. logo and a business card for some things you just do for fun. And if, right. you know, if it turns out to be something bigger then great. And that's another thing with creatives. They, they have a job. I find a lot of people have a job to get their insurance paid and make, but then they have something on the side they're doing and it's encroaching. It's okay to do that. You know, I do some of that too, but if it ever encroaches on my job, I'll, I'm not going to do it. And there's times like, Hey, you could be doing more and more, more and more. I know, but this is my main job. This is my bread and butter. I want to honor that. But I do feel like everyone now, because they have, you know, some type of camera or they have a YouTube channel that they're all an expert. I was talking to someone who is uh, a music director at a major university. And he said, it's crazy in the last probably six, seven years, how every person he brings in as a freshman in this music program, he has to struggle almost a year for them, a year with them to help them realize that you don't know what you're doing just because you have a lot of likes on your, on your, your, your song you did at church or at the school. Mm-hmm. And it really is a false sense of grandeur because uh, that's not the real world. Uh, and basically not everyone is going to clap at what you do. And sometimes you're gonna, they're going to say, even to this thing, I tell my staff all the time, do you, do you think that everything I do, my number one just jumps up and he, no, I, he has to be able to tell me, I don't, that's just not what I, not, not what I want, but it is a little bit, I, I can tell though, it sounds really weird. It sounds like I'm an old man, but I can tell the ones that have had really good training from parents who've have had a better approach to their kids is saying, look, if you want to do that, you're going to do it all the way. And, you know, we, you share the stage, you share the moment, you share the field, whatever it is, those, we don't have any problems with those. I don't care what age they are. Yeah. I remember a life-changing moment for me is a theater program that I went through. Um, the first day they sat us all down and they said, wherever you came from, you were probably the best at what you did to get here, but here you're just average. So take out a sheet of drafting paper. We're going to start by writing the alphabet and drawing lines. And they, they made us all start at ground zero. And it just like, it knocked my legs out from under me. And yes, I went home that night and I cried about it, but starting at ground zero and allowing them to build a foundation and build on that changed everything for me. And it was, um, it humbled me, but I'm glad that someone humbled me that early on. So. Yeah, that is so important. And you don't want to stay there, but sometimes you've got to start there. You Mm -hmm. know, I think for me, I was kind of a big fish in a small pond because I grew up like a lot of people did in church and I did work hard and I didn't, you know, and I was, had to do everything like everyone else, but it does give you a a sense of like, man, I'm, you know, and then I remember one time I went to an audition when I first auditioned, I ever went to when I was in in LA and I got called and I think I called home and called a few people said, Hey, I'm up for this part, this TV show. And it just sounds just like me. Let me read the description. So I read him the character description of it. And I was so excited to look, let us know, let us know. I was probably like 19 and I went, I walked into the room and there was about 200 guys look just like me, mm. same build, same hair color, same eye color. And I was like, Oh my goodness. I mean, it was, the, and that was like day two or three of casting. And that was a wake up call for me. Like this, you are, you are one of many. And if you're going to be one of few, then you're going to have to work to be one of few. Mm-hmm. But if not, you're really one of many. And sometimes that perspective is really, really good. I also think it helps 
it has helped my staff over and over from time to time when I bring someone else in and they see the level by which they operate. They're mm-hmm. like, oh my goodness, I got to get my game together. This is how they, they operate. So that is always a little helpful too and helped helping new people realize, wow, this is how people, this is how people play. Yeah. Well, Paul, what's something fun you're working on right now? Um, right now, um, I'm probably, I don't know why we're doing this, but we are, we are, uh, we're building Bethlehem, uh, 12 miles from here Hmm. and we're doing a television special, uh, this December. Um, and I've seen the renderings of this. It's not just a little Bethlehem. It's the whole thing. Yeah. We're building it pretty and Nazareth. So we're, uh, shooting in August and September of this year. And, uh, it's been a project that we, will be on History Channel, uh, all of our networks. And it is a really, it's a, a way to have a f- greater outreach than what we already do on television. And it's just telling the Christmas story. And we, the collaboration process on this is really great. Um, we are, some of my staff came up with some sub, you know, some you know, subplot lines and some, you know, storylines that were different than anyone else has seen. Uh, you will see little kids in this who are affected by this, the star or some type of whatever. And they are, if you look closely, there will be there are people in Jesus's life when he's an adult, like the two boys who are fishing, mm. the woman at the well as kids, there's a lot of kids in the show. So we're building Bethlehem outside of town. We are five other locations around Southern California with, uh, with horses and camels and sheep and people and craft services and craziness. So that's what we're doing now. Sometimes you think that's great. And then other time, every, some days I look and I think, have I, have I done too much? You know what I mean? <laughs> like maybe we've gone too far in this one. So we'll see what happens, but we're real excited about it. Well, great. Well, Paul, thank you so much for giving me a little of your time today. Look forward to seeing you sometime soon. Okay, bud. Man, what a conversation. I am so thankful for the friendship that Paul Joyner and I have had over the last 13 or 14 years. And just so thankful that I've got a mentor who has walked the road that I'm going down ahead of me and can look back and help me as I walk the road myself. I hope that you have someone who's older than you that has been where you're going and can help you get there as well. If you don't, then I encourage you to find someone in your life who knows the path that you're walking down and can help you get where you want to go. It's been so valuable to me to have someone like Paul who isn't afraid to say that's not the right choice or you're going the wrong way. It's just been It's been a blessing. If you'd like to learn more about Paul Joyner, his website is super easy to find. It's pauljoyner.com. There you will find what I believe to be one of the most valuable resources on the internet. It's a personality typing program that Paul wrote many years ago called The Adventurer Styles. It's a program that's helped everyone from national sporting teams to small nonprofits to high school sport teams win championships. And it is just an incredible resource. I'd encourage you to step on over there and check that out. Also, if you've made it this far in the podcast, you probably already know this, but you can follow me online on Instagram at TC Schwa or Twitter at TC Schwa as well. I hope you'll join me next week when I interview one of my friends from college. She's an incredible actress, an incredible artist, and I just can't wait for you guys to meet her and hear what she is working on right now. Until then, I hope you have an incredible week and I'll see you next time.